Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to An Amber A Day. I quickly wanted to have this little interlude before the podcast starts to just let you know that Hannah, who I'm interviewing today, is going to be co-running a group program for PCOS with me later this year. This uh, group course is going to be based off of my functional PCOS course, which is always available. It's a self-paced program that takes you through 12 weeks of learning about your PCOS and making lifestyle changes. It's got meal plans and homework and all that good stuff. Her and I are adapting that into a group format, and we're going to be running that for the first time later this year. So we are taking a limited number of people into this group program. Um, It's going to be a great value and really excited. She is an expert in PCOS as an I. We both have PCOS ourselves, so we've lived through this, and I think it's going to be really fun. I'm really excited to get to know those of you who end up taking uh, this course. So If you're interested in that, in the description box below, you will find a link to a little sign-up form where you can leave your email address for me, and once I have more details, I will be reaching out and kind of letting you know um, what's going on with the course and all of that, but it's still early days. We're still in the the very early planning phases, but we're really excited about it, so um, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, uh, it'll probably take place late this August slash early September. And it's probably going to be about an eight-week program. So sign up below. Let's get on to today's episode. Welcome back to An Amber Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher. And I'm really excited today because I'm talking with Hannah, also known as the Conscious Nutritionist. And uh, we're going to talk about PCOS and our experiences and just a lot of the things that we have in common as um people living with PCOS, people who work with PCOS. So Hannah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. You want to tell us a little bit about you and your story and kind of, um, yeah, tell us your story of PCOS. Sure. So a little background on myself. Um, I am a registered dietitian and I'm also a physician assistant. So I have a little bit of a nice medical background and nutrition background. Um, I did my undergrad in nutrition and did the typical registered dietitian route of becoming a dietetic intern, um, loved being a dietitian and worked in transplant for a little bit. So I had a pretty clinical, um, background at first. And then right about that time when I had finished out, um, my training as a dietitian was when I got diagnosed with PCOS and it became a big kind of interest of mine. So, I started seeing some PCOS patients on the side kind of at that time and then made the decision a little bit later to go on to PA school to further my medical expertise. So for the years I was in PA school, I didn't really do much of anything other than, you know, become a PA. And in the last few years, I kind of have a mix of a physician assistant job and a private practice treating women with PCOS. 
Um, and then a big part of my time in the last two years since the pandemic, but especially the last year has been making content on TikTok. It's something I really like doing. I like making recipes and I also like talking about just beauty and home care and things of that nature. So that's currently kind of what is taking up my time. Yeah. And I, I was telling Hannah before we got started recording, but I want to mention to all of you, I'm sure many of you have heard of Hannah, but I just wanted to say that she's probably my favorite. I don't know if like PCOS influencer is like a word we should use or a thing, but you're my favorite PCOS kind of lifestyle, like video creation person. I just find your content really inspiring. So if you guys haven't checked Hannah out, I really think that you need to. One thing that I think she does really well is, you know, what your tagline is like um, PCOS living, but make it chic, right? So really helpful content that just kind of helps you feel like, you know, like working on your PCOS doesn't need to be like this boring, um, difficult thing where you feel awful about your body and you're just like constantly fighting yourself. It's more about just like, you know, nutrition and healing from the inside out and just glowing and skincare and all these beautiful things that, um, you know, are really, really fun. And I don't think that enough people do things like that. So really appreciate her content. Um, okay. So tell us about how did you get diagnosed with PCOS? Like what's the story there? So looking back, knowing what I know now, I always had PCOS pretty much since I hit menarche. Um, I had very, very bad hormonal acne, like starting at the age of 11 and my periods were always very long. So I always had like 45 or 50 day cycles. Um, I always got my period, but they were very long back in high school, but I don't think I thought very much of it. And I did the acne. My, I have a lot of genetic acne in my family as well. Um, so my, both my brother and I were on Accutane. So I think everyone sort of attributed acne to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, after the act, you know, what is actually funny when I took the Accutane, you have to take birth control to take Accutane. So I was 16. So I started on birth control at 16. So I think the the process of PCS was sort of stunted in me. I went, took Accutane, I was on birth control. So all of those things that would have revealed to someone that they might have PCOS, like acne and irregular cycles were kind of stunted with those medications. So 16, 17, I was on the pill. My skin was clear, of course, because I took Accutane. So I never really thought much of it. Um, I've always struggled with my weight. Um, I've never been clinically obese, but I have definitely been overweight and my mom struggles, my grandma struggles, all my cousins struggle. Everyone in my family has abdominal obesity. So definitely some genetic portion of, uh, insulin resistance there for sure. But that was probably the only kind of lingering symptom I had in college was just struggling with my weight seemingly more so than like my other sorority sisters and things like that. Mm -hmm. But overall, you know, was doing okay. And then when I started my master's in nutrition, I had like, I'm not sure if I would call it an awakening, but I was working in an inner city hospital. There were so many sick people with chronic diseases. And I definitely started getting anxiety for the first time in my life. And at that point I almost went like, too crazy towards becoming this natural holistic. I was like, I'm going to get off the pill. I'm going to do all this stuff. I went like 180 from being like a sorority girl that was on the pill and drinking natural light every weekend to like the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> and looking back, some of my actions were more disordered than anything because mm-hmm. I was so anxious about all that stuff. But 
I got off the pill and I think I had kind of a combination. It was definitely worse when I got off the pill, like this phenomenon people refer to as post-pill PCOS and then a resurgence of what I naturally always had of, um, some, you know, PCOS symptoms. So my biggest, I mean, the acne came back kind of full force. Uh, it wasn't horrible because I've always been big into skincare, but it definitely bothered me a lot. Um, I lost like half of my head of hair. That was probably the most distressing. I lost so much hair, which was kind of a combination of this like natural phenomenon people can get when they stop the pill, which is Mm -hmm. basically just called telogenum effluvium plus like a rearing of PCOS. So it was kind of a combo of all those things. And then my periods were all over the place. So at that time, because I was, um, on this like journey of being all natural all the time, I saw a naturopath, which nothing against naturopaths, but I actually think she probably damaged me more so than helped because she made me feel horrible about my year, like the Accutane and the birth control mm-hmm. and gave me so many supplements. And, you know, it, it was, it just got like to a point that it was out of hand. I was spending so much money a month. Long story short, I finally just went to like my gynecologist that I had seen my whole life. We did some lab work and an ultrasound and I did have the cysts on the ovaries. So I pretty much, I think had the trifecta of like their regular cycles, cysts on the ovaries and then high testosterone and high DHEA on lab testing. So that was kind of the story there. And for a year or two, I, like I said, like went balls to the walls with everything, so many supplements, all these things. And the big, um, like awakening point for me was I actually got some regular blood work and I had started doing a little bit of damage to my liver from all of the supplements Mm -hmm. I was taking. And an interesting point. So actually now I, as a physician assistant, my specialty is liver diseases. So now looking back, I know exactly what I did. Um, it's called a drug induced liver injury. I had very mild elevated liver enzymes, but it's actually more common than people realize when they're just taking a bunch of supplements and, you know, don't know what they're doing. So, um, at that point I pretty much stopped all, all that stuff. And I was just like, I'm gonna try and balance the things that I like. I want to still be able to go out with my husband. Well, now he was my boyfriend at the time and have a glass of wine, um, And I want to be able to use makeup and I want to be able to paint my nails and feel girly and chic, but I need to be able to manage this. And that's sort of where this, this now, which is sort of my niche and what I like to do is most food first, um, supplements second, and kind of balance between like a holistic lifestyle and things that make you feel joy. So that's kind of the story. Yeah, I really, I really can relate to a lot of pieces of that story because I had a very similar experience of, you know, when I first found out that I had PCOS, just kind of going crazy into the like holistic health, alternative health, natural health sort of community. And I think a lot of people go through this where they feel really unheard by, um, you know, the, the standard like conventional treatment, or they're told that there's really nothing that can be done except, you know, take birth control, maybe take metformin and then, you know, go about your way, come back when you want to get pregnant type thing. And so that's really frustrating um, because I think a lot of us have an intuitive sense that like our lifestyle does play a role in, you know, how healthy we are at least, but 
you know, potentially with our PCOS symptoms. So when I was first um, diagnosed, I got really into nutrition. I mean, that's how I developed my interest in nutrition in the first place, because previous to that, I had no interest at all in nutrition um, and ended up like, you know, going down the rabbit hole of like taking all these supplements and just like, I, I got it really into paleo for a while. And um, it ended up actually being really harmful for me because um, I ended up getting endometrial cancer at one point in my mid twenties, basically because I wouldn't listen to my doctor about the fact that I needed to be having a period regularly. Like I needed to be on some form of birth control. Um, and later on in life, like as I learned more and everything, I was able to get with a great doctor who let me do um, cyclical progesterone therapy, which I like just love for, for PCOS if you don't need, um, uh, you know, actual birth control, like protection in that department, uh, contraception. But, um, you know, it's very tempting to kind of just go all the way in one direction to pendulum swing. And really, I think the place where we end up coming to hopefully where I came to as well is a place of balance. Like you said, where I still want to be able to live my life. Like I like to go out to eat. Like I like to eat dessert sometimes like um, yeah, a glass of wine. These kinds of things are, are part of life as well. Like social connection and culture and all of those things are also important for health. Um, and the adrenal thing with PCOS is something that I don't think we should sleep on either because, you know, stressing yourself out so much over your food and your diet and, you know, whether you're taking the right supplements, that's extremely stressful. And that can then impact hormone balance as well um, in the long term. So very important. And I'm also really sorry about your experience with the naturopath. That's that's a huge criticism that I have of like um some functional like medicine providers, naturopaths, things like that is, you know, taking this sort of model of like, instead of prescribing, you know, like regular prescriptions, we're just prescribing tons and tons and tons of supplements. And it's like, that's not really getting at the root of why people are sick. Um, so food first. Yeah. And you mentioned two points that I definitely want to touch on. So with the endometrial cancer, that's a big reason I'm so wary of talking about birth control specifically on TikTok. Mm -hmm. So many comments asking about it, but it's so individual. Ultimately, I'm really happy that I am off of hormonal contraceptive. Currently, I get a period every 30 days and I feel good. But, you know, the risk of endometrial cancer is absolutely real with PCOS. So I worry about people stopping the pill without any sort of exact like medical support or something like that. Cause people don't realize you do need to shed that uterine lining. Right. Um, so the number one reason I get worried about it, especially because I am very happy to be off the pill and I think it's a great, I feel very empowered, but for many people in this country, they do not have the time or ability to necessarily go on this journey that we've gone on. And I worry mm -hmm. that, you know, cause the pill is proven to decrease the risk of endometrial cancer for those patients. Exactly. So, you know, this demonization of the, of medical practitioners for recommending the pill, I think is a little overplayed perhaps. Overkill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. I think it really just ends up harming the patient in the long run. Cause I know for me and my experience that had I just stayed on hormonal birth control, um, 
I probably wouldn't have gone through a lot of the things that I went through. Um, but my, you know, stubbornness and insistence that like, I didn't want to be on um, birth control. I mean, partially because birth control for those of us who have been on it, you know, it doesn't feel great to be on it. A lot of us have like side effects and symptoms of it. I mean, that's a true piece of this too, but you know, it's sort of one of those lesser of two evils things. Like I would take birth control over cancer any day. Um, so yeah, I also hesitate to talk about it too much. And I get a lot of questions about it too. And it's just a difficult topic because I don't think a lot of people realize that you have a higher risk of that type of cancer when you have PCOS. And a lot of women think, oh, I don't have a period, but like once every six months and like, it's no big deal. No, that's a big deal. Like you need to be shedding regularly. Yeah. And the second thing that you mentioned about stress so I, cause you tried it to the like continuous glucose monitor. So I tried it for a month mm-hmm. and the most fascinating information for me was the days that I, so my clinic, I have like a, a high risk clinic. It's pretty stressful. Patients are very sick. My blood sugars were crazy. Like even if I had eaten a healthy meal, my body was really, I could see like the fight or flight. My body was releasing sugar from my muscles to like fuel me. Um, it was very interesting. And then that feeling when I get home and am so exhausted, it would crash super low mm-hmm. after that. So it was very interesting. But um, even the days I was just emotionally stressed or anxious, the blood sugar would be really high. So it's definitely something to think about that I don't think most people do. Yeah, I don't think that we talk enough about the like adrenal cortisol, blood sugar insulin resistance connection in PCOS. Like we, we talk a lot about insulin resistance just on its own and carbohydrates and all that. And I mean, yes, that's valuable. Like that's important. I think I'm doing a series on that right now. Um, but the stress piece, like so many people with PCOS are like kind of type a, like high achievers, like, um, you know, women who push themselves. And while there's obviously benefits to that. Um, there's also downsides to that too. I had a very similar experience with my glucose monitor. The first week I wore it, I was on, um, I was like on vacation and my blood sugar looked, you know, pretty good. Um, except when I like tested certain things out, which I knew weren't going to be good, but Hey, you know, that's life. Um, but the, the next week that I wore it when I was back seeing clients and like, skipping lunch sometimes and just like not, you know, not taking the best care of myself stressed out. It was a significant difference in how my blood sugar would spike and, um, and how high it would spike and all that. So stress is a really, really big contributor to hormone issues. And, um, you know, reducing stress is like a complicated thing. I, I always struggle with just saying to people like, Oh, just, you know, reduce your stress. Cause it's like, well, okay, but how, how do we do that? Um, how do we realistically do that when we do like, I don't know, run a private practice or we're a PA or, you know, how do we do that? Um, there are things that we can do, obviously incorporate like meditation and things like that. But I like to try to find things that I think are a little bit more maybe realistic for people to start with. And I think one of the biggest things that's been important for me is just learning to say no more, learning to set more boundaries with my time, um, and things like that. And I'm certainly not perfect at that, but that's something that I've been working on over the last few years. Yeah. And for me, you know, actually what's interesting about when I was diagnosed, I had gotten into a big CrossFit phase and I was waking up at 5am to go to CrossFit. 
So I was not sleeping and my exercise was crazy and I was gaining so much weight and all my hair was falling out. And mm-hmm. it's so fu- not that people shouldn't do CrossFit, but <laughs> I wasn't sleeping enough. And that was probably way too much mm-hmm. on my body at the time. Um, so exercise for me and sleep has been a big, a big one for sure. Another, I had like been doing really well for a couple of years. And then when I went to PA school, I was doing, um, orange theory. So a similar kind of theory. And I was doing it a lot because it was like my biggest stress reliever for school. And I was walking a lot and I did start having some like rearing of symptoms so the stress is a big portion for me, like stress on my body, but it's hard because when you manage your weight for much of your teens through like running and things like that, giving up that exercise is a form of, which feels like a form of stress relief, right? So you're like, without my exercise, I'm going to be stressed. But with that, you know, realizing that it does put physiologic stress on the body as well to be doing that much that many times a week and not sleeping is definitely yeah. contributes. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. That's huge. And that's a really hard thing too, because like, that's kind of the message that you get about PCOS as well. It's like, oh, we need to move more. We need to do more exercise. Exercise is beneficial for your insulin resistance. Like, yeah, that's true. But um, you also need to get like eight hours of sleep a night. And I always tell my clients, I'm like, if it's between waking up um, at the crack of dawn to go like, yeah, do CrossFit or like run or whatever. And um, getting a full eight hours of sleep. Like I'd rather you sleep and just like stand up from your desk every, you know, hour. And I don't know, do some squats or something. Like, I think that that's better in the long term for, for hormones. And then when your lifestyle and your schedule changes a bit, and maybe you can incorporate exercise at a more ideal time of day. Um, same thing with like working out really late at night. I find that at least for me and a lot of my clients, like that really like sends my cortisol through the roof. And then I'm just like awake, um, can't fall asleep. And so I have to really be intentional about exercising, um, before, before 8 PM, I would say like, ideally before that, like I like to do it in the mid morning, but that's not always possible. Um, and sunlight too. Like, I don't think we talk enough about like circadian rhythm and how important it is to just like get sunlight on your skin in the morning. And, um, yeah, all these fundamental pillars of health, they seem, they're not as exciting to talk about or to hear about, but they really do make a big difference. Um, especially if your body is really struggling. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like the acne and the hair stuff. Cause that's the thing that I probably get more questions about than anything is like hair loss, um, or facial hair, you know, the dichotomy between those. Do you have, um, like, what did you do to kind of improve that stuff or what do you recommend to people? Yeah. So 
starting with acne, I mean, the number one thing that, I mean, I sort of have a couple pillars that I base my foundation of recommendations on now. So I do have insulin resistance PCOS. So the number one thing for me is decreasing that insulin resistance, um, absolutely helps my acne, um, and helps most people's acne because of the, you know, the, the, pathological processes of high insulin leading to high testosterone, leading to more acne breakouts. Um, so, you know, when I was trying to figure this all out, it was really during the time period of like vegan, raw vegan, um, stuff on social media. It was all Instagram at that time. So I was much more, I look back at some of my meals. It was a lot, a lot of fruit, a lot, a lot of sweet potatoes, all things that a lot of oatmeal, a lot of things that hundred percent are, could be a part of a healthful diet. But looking back, um, I absolutely was spiking and crashing my blood sugar and I was snacking a lot. So I'd eat oatmeal and I would eat a snack and then I would eat lunch and I would eat a snack and then I ate dinner and then I had snacks every night. So I never, ever was allowing my body to burn any fat for fuel. Um, so addressing insulin resistance, I think is the biggest thing, especially for acne. Um, I have found that, um, that helps with, with most clients. Second thing pillar is managing stress, which we just talked about a lot. Um, that's a huge thing for acne. So trying to have, you know, something, some sort of meditation, Pilates, walking, reading, some sort of active stress reliever every single day. Um, and then, you know, the third thing that I think over time slowly has helped my acne the most is decreasing the body burden. Uh, I kind of call it like create a healthy home, um, decreasing the burden of plastics and, um, endocrine disruptors in my skincare and home care. So, you know, using glass, which I think is the easiest swap. I feel like people keep hearing it, but you know, a lot of people still use plastic food containers. So easy. They have them at Dollar Tree. They have everywhere. So switching to all glass for food storage, uh, switching to stainless steel. Um, I think an excellent, if people are going to invest anything in their health would be to invest in like a good quality water filter. I actually think that's much more important than if you're trying to decide if you should spend a bunch of money on supplements or get like an excellent water filter. I think the water filter is probably the better investment of your money. Um, so those, those things. And then lastly, addressing gut health. Um, one of the things that's been most important for me, and this also helps with insulin resistance is need eating, you know, 50 grams of fiber a day. Usually, mm-hmm. um, I would say most women with PCOS do well with much higher fiber intakes than is recommended by, um, you know, the FDA with the, or the USDA with the caveat that, you know, unless you have IBS or something like that, but most women PCOS do better with a lot higher fiber diets, um, which that helps the gut microbiome. Absolutely. But it also does help kind of that insulin resistance portion as well. So the combination of all those things definitely helps, um, with the pathology of development of acne. And then lastly, I love topical skincare as well. Um, and I did go through a period of time that I was like, absolutely no dermatology topicals or anything like that. But my philosophy on that has definitely changed. Um, you know, a prescription tretinoin, which is pretty much just a vitamin A cream allows me to use everything else in my skincare routine being, you know, pretty much from a clean beauty brand allows me to use zinc sunscreen. It, it 
you know, what, using one product two or three times a week allows for everything else to be um, completely kind of what you would call like clean beauty or non-toxic beauty or whatever. So I'm much more, I would rather people pick a couple hot, you know, things if you have to use, you know, if your dermatologist recommends a retinoid or an azelaic acid or something like that. I like kind of almost like an 80, 20 balance with skincare, um, with facial care, mm-hmm. if you're going to use, you know, some more topical things from the dermatologist, you know, your body, your body lotion and your body wash should ideally in your shampoo and conditioner should ideally be, you know, completely free of parabens and phthalates and synthetic fragrances, if that makes sense. So that's kind of a long winded protocol of how I address my acne and how I help with other people's acne. Hair loss on the scalp is much more difficult. um, But the hair loss is often from, you know, the similar pathology of excess testosterone and DHT. So all of those things I mentioned do help with that. Um, I get a lot of questions about facial hair and I will say, um, I know you and I both recommend test or spearmint tea to people, mm-hmm. but I also often recommend people look into, um, laser hair removal. If it's something that really bothers them, laser mm-hmm. hair removal safe and it's much more affordable than it used to be. As long as you're going somewhere, you know, of course you want to go somewhere reputable that's well-trusted, but you know, if it's really bothersome to you, I would much rather you invest in that than try a million supplements and creams and things like that. Right. I mean, that, that's part of the thing about facial hair is it, it's a esthetician described it to me this way once. And she's like, once those hair follicles kind of turn on, they don't really like to turn off. Like, even if you're doing everything sort of right, like you might slow the growth, but you're still going to have those areas of like darker growth. And of course, being a person who's fair skinned and I have dark hair, like my facial hair was noticeable, at least to me, and I wanted it taken care of. So after I addressed my insulin resistance as best as I could and got into a good routine with that, and I felt like I was in a good spot, I did go through and do laser hair removal. And I recommend it to everyone because it was like one of the best things I ever did for myself. Um, Talk about a way to really improve your confidence because having facial hair can be a big drain on that. Um, And of course, you know, laser hair removal is not a perfect thing. Like, the hair might come back. Like after I had my son, like pregnancy and stuff, like I definitely have more hair growth than I, than I was having, like it was totally gone and now it's somewhat back. So I need to go get a touch up, but yeah, I don't, I, um, I definitely think laser hair removal is like a really, really valuable piece of the puzzle. And I don't really understand why everybody just wants to take like supplements for facial hair all the time. Cause it's like such a slow process. Like yeah, I, I know that some supplements can help, but just go get laser. It's like yeah. faster. It really yeah. works, you know. I feel the same with the caveat that you and I are both like fair skin. Um, like yeah, right. To work less on people, like the contrast between dark and light makes parent mm-hmm. removal work. So, um, people with darker skin tones, um, it's not it always as successful, well. but. <clears throat> still can definitely lighten it and decrease the growth rate. So I agree. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something worth looking into. Yeah. I like that you brought up earlier too about um, higher fiber diets for PCOS, because this is a struggle that I have with kind of conveying information to people is that when I'm talking about reducing insulin resistance and I'm talking about being um, careful about carbohydrate consumption, not reducing carbs to the point where you're like 
in Ketoville. Um, but just being careful about when and how you eat them and with what you eat them and all of that. Um, sometimes people get the idea that, you know, it's better. It's like, well, okay, if I cut carbs, then it reduces how much insulin I'm producing. I might as well just like cut all carbs out. Right. Like that's what I should do. And that's going to help my PCOS. And you know, the, the struggle that, that I have with that is that in the short term, that does often help people. Like it works pretty quickly. Um, but as the months go on, a lot of the PCOS symptoms return. Um, people are dealing with constipation, like their gut health gets really out of whack because you need that fiber, that input of constant like fiber, polyphenols, all those different things that you would get from plant foods to actually improve the health of the microbiome. Like they feed off of that stuff. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And the other thing that I wanted to say about that too, is that when you eat a lot of fiber, it can help increase your sex hormone binding globulin, which then can like bind up some of that free testosterone. And that's another reason also why it's important to eat enough protein because the albumin can help to bind up some of that free testosterone too. And um, that's another struggle that I have a lot with, with, you know, PCOS is that I see a lot of people wanting to go vegan that's a tough topic for me because of course there's like ethical reasons with that and, and all that. And I totally understand it. Um, and I think like it's a tricky balance to walk, but at least my experience, most of my clients do better when they have some animal protein in their diet. Cause it just really does help to slow the release of sugar into the bloodstream. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say, you know, vegan is very difficult with PCOS for sure. Yeah. Um, at least if people are willing to consume some fish and eggs, um, maybe some sort of like collagen protein, I think that's mm -hmm. at least a good basis, but I agree a hundred percent. I think I, I try and get people to have protein and fiber in every single meal. Mm -hmm. And I do think fiber is the biggest missing piece. Um, and especially cause I want people to add fiber. Cause oftentimes I want them to like add a salad or add GM flax. Mm -hmm. So it's less restriction, more adding those things that are going to keep you really full. They keep you fuller longer. They decrease the blood sugar spikes and the, you know, the, um, benefits to sex hormone binding globulin, estrogen metabolism, all those things. So, mm -hmm. uh, I 100% agree, but yeah, vegan is very, I would say vegan is, is pretty difficult with PCOS. I think I do feel like things are changing, at least in the social discussion of these things. I feel like when I, like five years ago, it was almost assumed if you were a dietitian, you were vegan, but I do think things have sort of changed a little bit with people being more willing to, um, you know, accept grass-fed meats and fish and eggs and things like that. You know, it's funny though. I'm sometimes surprised. I'll randomly get a comment kind of being like on, on TikTok, I mean, criticizing me for using meat in a product, but I would thought I'm going to knock on wood because I'm about to get canceled. By the <laughs> I, I put a lot of animal products in my foods. I certainly yeah. have a lot of vegan recipes because I don't, eat a ton of completely vegan meals. And I haven't gotten any criticism for that yet. <laughs> you know, Knock on one. One of these on the wrong side. Yeah, right. Here and there, but not as many as you would assume. Right. Yeah. I I don't get a lot of comments like that either. Knock on one. Um not on the vegan algorithm. Yeah, I think because I'm like more in like the I'm on like the functional 
medicine kind of algorithm. Like I get a lot of people who are coming who used to be like paleo and stuff like that. And that kind of community sort of meshed into the functional medicine community. And the good thing about that is that all of those, well, I won't say all of them because that community still exists, but like most people, I think that got into that for a while, started to learn to expand their idea of like the fact that maybe grains might still be helpful. Um, you know, beans, legumes, all those kinds of things. Cause we used to villainize all that stuff. So it's like the opposite kind of paradigm. Although I, have you seen this, have you seen this carnivore diet thing? Yeah, I do see yeah. carnivore diet. And you know what else I get a lot of like the plant paradox stuff, like being against. Uh-huh. Yes. Legumes. I had right. somebody fully make a video and just like stitch a video of mine and it cracked me up. Cause she was like, you're so close to being, ra-. it was basically just this random girl that was like, you're so close to being correct, but you should read this. <laughs> and I'm like, you realize I have two master's degrees, right? Like, I'm not, thank you for letting me know. I should read this book, but yeah, I do get, I would say, cause I talk about legumes and I talk about chia seeds and I talk about high fiber foods. So I, I would say mm-hmm. the, probably the biggest criticism I get would be from like people that are interested in kind of the plant paradox type of stuff, which yeah, his spiel is avoiding a lot of fibers. I think I don't, I've is it lectins. I don't know the, well, the Dr. Gundry thing with lectins, I get asked about that all the time, you know, and if for anybody who's like heard of that and you know, concerned about, honestly, I, lectins don't concern me. I just like, I just really think that the vast majority of people, the way that they're eating now, like if you're eating, if you're going and getting fast food, like multiple times a week, like you're eating, um, a lot of like packaged and processed foods, like it really doesn't matter what you change to. If you're eating a whole foods diet, like you're going to be better off than you were before. Um, so I don't think, that, that kind of stuff just gets into like such nitpickiness with food that I feel like it gets disordered. I know personally, like you can really go off the deep end with being afraid of different components of food, but every food really has health benefits. And some foods have things that are both healthy and maybe unhealthy, or I don't even like using those words, but those are the only two I can think of right now. You know, food doesn't have a moral value. It's not like good or bad. It's just how do you make different things work and how do they affect you? So, but yeah, I get, a, I get a lot of comments <laughs> about that stuff. And I actually like, can't, I just can't deal with like stuff like that, like stitches and duets and things. I like, I turned my duets off like ages ago. Cause I'm like, I don't want to see anything like that. Just like yeah. drives me nuts. And I agree about the whole food things. My general rule of thumb, when people are like, is this okay? Is this okay? Is if somebody mm-hmm. in 1900 would look at it <laughs> food, it's probably fine. Right. If you took, that's a great rule of thumb or you took a piece of bread or you took a potato or you took a piece of meat or a glass of milk and showed it to someone in 1900, they would say, yeah, that's food. Right. But if you showed them a lot of the stuff that we eat, they would say, what is that? Right. So that yeah. my um, that's like my quick thing that I say, you know, when I work as a PA and I obviously don't have as much time to talk about nutrition, that's kind of my, I'm like, if you could get it at a grocery store in 1900, I'm totally on board. Yeah. I think that's a really good rule of thumb actually. Um, because there's really, there, 
I mean, yeah, it's hard because there are like, I can start getting like nitpicky into different like areas of health. Like, okay, so this is how much protein I want you eating. And these are like the types of vegetables I want you eating. And, you know, the difference between eating like a non-starchy vegetable versus a starchy vegetable and the amounts and all of that. But fundamentally, like just eat real whole food. And that's a good place to start. I like to send people if they don't have anywhere to start, like they've never gone on a health journey before. I always send them to the Mediterranean diet. Cause I'm like, that's a good starting place, you know? Yeah. And then as you move along, like, especially with PCOS, you might realize that there are some principles of the Mediterranean diet that maybe aren't the best, like the pasta. Um, although there's nothing wrong with a little, a little pasta. It's just the amounts and all of that. But I think that's a really good place to start. And it has a lot of data to back it up as well. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. Yeah. And I re- I also really like the, the conversation about plastics and endocrine disruptors because I don't talk enough about that. That's a whole other, like you could just, I mean, we could do podcasts and podcasts just on that topic. Like there's a lot to that. Um, all right. Well, um, do you have anything that you would like to add? I can't think of anything else that I want to discuss, but. I guess one of my biggest takeaways, um, that I try and talk about with people is definitely food first mm-hmm. and thinking about certain foods almost as like a food based supplement. Like I think mm-hmm. about my chia and flaxseed as a supplement. I think about my spearmint tea as a supplement. Cause I, every single video I put up, people ask about supplements and I'm like, mm-hmm. this food that I showed you in this video is a supplement. It is a supplement. Yeah, exactly. I get, you know, and I do think it's very tempting to take a lot, a lot of stuff, but I work trying to work with somebody or doing, you know, doing just trying to be a little bit more consistent with things like that. And minimalist is my um, biggest recommendation. The other thing is whenever you're starting a new like nutrition thing or practice or health practice, I always like to think like, would I be able to include this sort of thing in five years, 10 years and 15 years, mm-hmm. you know, right now I have this newfound reading practice. I literally never, well, I read growing up and then had all these years of master's degrees and things like that. So I really didn't read until the beginning of the pandemic. And I've read like 150 books in the last two years. It's crazy. Okay. Maybe that's a lot. No, it's close to that. It's honestly, <laughs> some of them are like ridiculous novellas that are romances, uh-huh. but anyway, I'm surely not going to be able to read two hours a day once I have a kid and in five years, in 10 years, but that's definitely a practice, um, a relaxation practice. I feasibly could always include in my life. Right. So I like yeah. to think about supplements too. Am I going to be able to take as many supplements for the next five years? Probably not like sticking to things yeah. that are and attainable. That's fair because I mean, the thing with supplements too, is they do, I mean, if you take high quality, like the right stuff and the right doses, like it, it does make a difference. It can help. And oftentimes with my clients, I do have a supplement protocol for them. Although I always limit myself to three things or less, because I think that it's very important not to um, overload people with stuff. Um, but consistency is really the biggest key with any type of supplementation. Like if you're taking it like one, you know, if it's taking you six months to get through a 30 day supply, it's probably not really doing that much for you. Um, but I love to read too. I'm like a big reader. So even though I do have my two and a half year old and 
it limits my time somewhat. I do make that part of my bedtime routine as well. Like that's an intentional thing that I have wanted to hold on to because I think reading is just like, I don't know. I've always been a reader. I've always been a little bit of a nerd and like, I don't read nutrition books either guys. (laughs) Like I read like, you know, right now, right now I'm reading Untamed, the Glennon Doyle. What's your kind of read it before? My favorite genre is, um, I like to, I like to read classics Mm -hmm. and I really like to read, um, like books that have won like awards. So I go back through, um, um, you know, like the orange prize or the Pulitzer. Sometimes I'll read stuff that's won the Pulitzer, but sometimes it's a little bit you know, yeah. it puts me right to sleep. Um, but I like to read things that have, like have a claim behind them because I want to know what all the like fuss is about. Um, and I'm just kind of like, I work, I'm working backwards now. I'm like, in like, I'm reading stuff that was like really popular in 2015 or whatever, but, um, that's why I like, I like some historical fiction too. And I saw that series that everyone's been talking about that at uh, what is it? A thorn of a crown of thorns and roses. roses. That's uh-huh. probably wouldn't like my <laughs> book recommendations. I pretty much strictly read romance or fantasy romance. Um, and I would say none of them will ever and have ever read. Surprise! <laughs> but that's but that's the point. That's of it okay. Is, yeah, I want them to have a happy ending, a happy story. Yeah. Oh, you like happy? See, I. I'm the opposite. I don't, I don't like happy endings. Like if the ending's too happy, it's not realistic. Like it, it bugs me. Okay, I don't know why that is. It makes me feel better about my life. All of my books, but the Court of Thorns and Roses series is the series <laughs> that is the TikTok series. And I wish I was kidding and saying that like it, that was the series that re, like started this whole process for me of reading. I've literally <laughs> gotten like 40 people to read it because of how excited I was about it. I've been okay so I saw it I was actually at Barnes and Noble yesterday and I saw it and I was thinking about you and I'm like okay like I think I need to read it because she says it's really good so I think I will I'll probably read it just I mean, to, and I'll like, let you know what I think if you're open to fantasy and you're open to a journey, I do like fantasy I like sci-fi and fantasy so okay so are you open to romance who is it okay then it's, I mean- <laughs> My mom has like everyone. I tell everyone to read this book series. <laughs> it's become like a tenant of my personality. But that's the thing. I have like obsessive personality. So once I become obsessed with something, uh-huh. becomes, like I just force. You're it. like hyper focused on it. Yes. Yeah. Same. And I read it over two years ago. So. <laughs> well, we were talking before we started recording. We were talking about how, um, like, <laughs> before TikTok, it was just like our friends and family that we used to like overload with like knowledge about nutrition and stuff and I have like very vivid memories of like first being really into nutrition and like when I was first starting my master's degree and stuff of just like talk like talking to my family about like you know different things and them just like obviously like clearly not wanting to continue listening to what I was saying and I just couldn't stop myself I'm like la, la, la. so like, I'm glad there's a platform now for me to just Definitely. talk about all the stuff that comes to my head yeah that's funny. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this was a great conversation and it was really, really nice to get to like, talk to you not in person, but sort of, you know, over zoom. So, um, you guys can find Hannah. I'm going to link to all her social media, but, um, she does the most, um, content on TikTok, right? Is that your Mm -hmm. like main platform? Yeah. 
and she's on Instagram as well. Um, the conscious nutritionist. And, um, is there anything else anywhere else that you would like to direct people to? That's pretty much it. No, I do have, um, an email list that you can find in my TikTok profile. I try and send out like recipe roundups. I try and keep it minimal because I don't want to spam people, but recipe roundups, current favorite products, things like that. So if you're interested in hearing more from me, I do have an email list. I try and post a lot on stories to kind of show people meal ideas and things like that. And then definitely show a lot on TikTok. Yeah. All right. Well, definitely go check her out and um, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for Stop having me. Stop recording now. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.